Hello out there in podcast land. This is Jim recording again. This is my second episode of the podcast with no name. Don't know if it needs a name. Don't know if I'll publish this. Um, but I've decided to title this episode, How to Find Meaning in Your Life. Very pretentious, clickbaity title, uh, which I'll get to shortly. A bit of context uh, around me. The quick David Copperfield stuff is that I, I live in San Francisco. I work in tech, and I've been working at the same tech job for the last three and a half years since I arrived here. I left that job at the end of February 2020. Uh, take a sabbatical. I was going to do some volunteering in San Francisco. Take some time for myself and figure out what the next job would be. If I would even remain in the Bay Area. Do a little bit of soul searching. And as all of you know, in March, uh, coronavirus hits and the pandemic. We're all sheltering in place for the duration. So I'm about six weeks into that. I've been recording voice memos to myself about different things uh, just to get them out. Uh, I do... I do typically write. I have a blog on the internet that nobody reads to kind of get my face away from the screen and save my fingers from typing. I have decided to start recording a podcast that no one will listen to. Shake it up. Yeah. I do think this is probably something everybody should do. I have always said that I think everyone ought to blog every day even if it is drivel about nothing. I think that th there's immense value in taking the time every day to concoct a thought, to, to defend some silly position, if nothing else, just to articulate some nonsensical idea and to put it out into the world to be consumed by anyone who might happen to find it, even if no one finds it. The point is not to have people read it. The point is to learn how to articulate your thoughts. I generally prefer to write. I'm better with language than I am at oratory. Um, but I think it is useful. I have, on many occasions, sat down to think about something. I think, I know all about this. I know the answer. And if I sit down and try and construct a blog entry in my head, I will very quickly realize, I don't think you actually know anything about this. I certainly don't think you know enough to have opinion about it. So I, I do find it good for filtering out what it is that's in my head that is really just there because my brain likes to hear itself talk versus something that I actually know something about because I have a concrete, well-formed opinion about it. Anyway, yes, everyone should blog every day, I think. I don't do that. I did that for a year once, and I still do it with some frequency, but not quite daily. 
but everyone probably should, should do it daily for about a year, at least once. I think the same might be true for podcasts. I learned about the basics of selling from the motivational speaker, Zig Ziglar. I have never been a salesman. One of his early points is to say that if you are not recording your own voice and listening back to it and kind of assessing your tone, how it would be received, the language you use, etc. If you are not doing that, then you are not a salesperson. And I think there's something to that. As I said, I have no gift for oratory. It's very difficult for me to sit there and just off the cuff talk about anything for any length of time in a way that doesn't sound awkward. Pretty sure I could use some tweaks to the tone of my voice, my paralanguage. But part of it is that. I think everyone in this pandemic should be writing or podcasting or creating something. If I had an electronic keyboard uh, that I could plug into a computer, I would be recording music every day. I'd be writing stuff. Unfortunately, I, I don't. I have a guitar and a ukulele, and that is not enough to write anything. It doesn't just sound like silly Hawaiian whatever. I'm not musically adept enough to make those that combo interesting for an entire album. So I am instead doing a lot of reading, doing a lot of writing. And now I am trying to talk to no one. I am shouting into the abyss. Hello. So title of this short episode is what I've decided to call How to Find Meaning in Your Life. So I came across something very, very interesting recently in a book by Joseph Campbell. Those of you who don't know, he is an American mythologist, Um, probably the most popular mythologist of the 20th century, certainly the most well-known one in the United States and maybe even the world. Matter of fact, I don't, I don't know this, but I'd be willing to wager that Dan Brown probably based Robert Langdon, the main character in the Da Vinci Code, Angels and Demons, and so on. I'd be very surprised if he didn't take inspiration from Joseph Campbell for the character. Joseph Campbell didn't invent ambigrams, but in terms of religious symbolism and its meaning in history that is is very much in Joseph Campbell's wheelhouse. Uh, What Joseph Campbell is most well known for is his first book called The Hero with a Thousand Faces. And you may have heard of this book because it has been cited by George Lucas as being the inspiration that allowed him to construct the story of Star Wars uh, from its elements. And, And the book essentially came together Joseph Campbell is looking at the stories of heroes throughout mythological stories, throughout history, and around the world. And he found that there were common elements that recurred in all of them. There was basically a formula, a pattern to all of them, 
that had emerged in all of the contexts in which the stories were written independent of each other. So he didn't think this was an accident. It wasn't just somebody wrote the original hero story and everyone since has ripped it off. It was, there's a certain structure to a story that is meaningful. And these stories have, I guess in a kind of Darwinian way, they're more likely to become hero stories that cultures will adopt in order to make sense of the story of the hero. And we all identify with the hero because we, are, we see ourselves as being the hero in our own life story. So it's resonant with us. And there are, there, there are common elements to it. And this is what George Lucas used in order to structure the epic story of Star Wars. George Lucas himself said that if it had not been for the hero with a thousand faces, he might still be trying to finish the story. I'm not sure that story ever got finished in its entirety. Um, That'd be something for another podcast. So I have been reading Joseph Campbell because I have been interested in this idea of there being common elements to mythologies around the world. That's not that they're all stealing from each other, but that the same elements seem to recur. So there is a kind of universality to human thought. And what I'm going to share is probably going to sound ridiculously simple. And the question I would probably get is, why bother saying that? at all. And I think that simplicity is probably the easiest thing for us to overlook because it's something that is so obviously true might be so obviously true that we do not even consider how we could apply it to our own circumstances. Uh, The best writers who seem to quote other writers seem to have a particular ability to zero in on one kernel of an idea in a single quotation from another author and they share it and they say, here, this reinforces my point. Um, I'm much more holistic. I, I whip through things when I read. I'm trying to get the whole gist. I'm looking for broad strokes. I'm generally not zeroing in on small kernels of ideas in a work, unless something really jumps out at me. But typically, I I miss the trees uh, for the forest. So what I found recently in my sort of introspection, and I am introspecting because of my current circumstance. Again, I'm freshly unemployed. Don't really have a whole lot of people that I talk to digitally. Um... And I, I, I can't go out due to the coronavirus situation. And so I have been evaluating my own path through life. Um, right. So I've been studying various things. Uh, Joseph Campbell himself, mythologist, was a student of Carl Jung. And Carl Jung is one of the patriarchs, along with Freud and Adler, of modern psychology. 
I find Jung fascinating because he touches upon the universalism of religious symbols in various human cultures as well. It seems that Joseph Campbell took this idea of Jung's and ran with it and made an entire career out of it and really dove very deeply, much deeper than Carl Jung was able to as a psychological practitioner, researcher, and so on. So I'm doing this to kind of hold a mirror up to my own face and my own life and say, okay, what, where do I go from here? Since I have the time to think, what do I do next? Maybe some of you out there are in the same position. Hence, this is why I'm going to share this very short passage. Uh, this is from Joseph Campbell's book called Myths to Live By. Now, the subtitle is How We Recreate Ancient Legends in Our Daily Lives to Release Human Potential. It doesn't contain that so much. You have to really read between the lines, I think. It definitely doesn't hit you over the head with any advice about how to live life. But here is the passage that I would like to read to you. The recognition of mortality and the requirement to transcend it is the first great impulse to mythology. And along with this, there runs another realization, namely that the social group into which the individual has been born, which nourishes and protects him and which, for the greater part of his life, he must help to nourish and protect, was flourishing long before his own birth and will remain when he is gone. There's a bit more here, but I can wrap up those two ideas. He ends this paragraph by saying, in every one of the mythological systems that, in the long course of history and prehistory, have been propagated in the various zones and quarters of this earth, these two fundamental realizations of the inevitability of individual death and the endurance of the social order have been combined symbolically and constitute the nuclear structuring force of the rights and thereby the society. So you have mortality and cultural context. So religions are created, mythologies are created. And for this, for the purposes of this, I, when I say mythology, I mean every religion but yours, going by the colloquial definition, so as not to offend anyone out there. Um, mythologies are created to create the sense of a life after death and to create a culture around which a population of people can congeal and to have that culture persist for more than a single generation. This is probably the first focus of education. Um, John Dewey said this was the, the primary focus of education, is the latter case. To the first question, the question of mortality, and if there is anything that comes after death, if any part of us does persist and go on to live in some ethereal plane, I have no idea. You're on your own figuring that one out. To the second claim, though, I think you can draw 
much more water from that well and, and find much more to apply to your own life in terms of finding meaning. So I do think this is the function that the old religions or really any religion that exists serves. It does create a set of rules, a set of social order, cultural and social norms. It, it defines how people are expected to behave and how not to behave. And by writing it down or transmitting it through oral stories, by putting it into narrative form somehow, it will persist. It will outlive you. And I don't think this is something that young people give a whole lot of thought to. This is only something that very recently I've come to reflect on for myself. Um, I'm 37 years old, almost 38. I might be pretty late coming to this party because this point is fairly obvious and I've never really thought about how to apply it to my own life. I'm certainly not a parent, so I've never thought about how exactly do I preserve what I care about in the world, what matters to me for my children. And even if I did, I'm somewhat cynical. I'm something of a cynical individual, so I'm not sure I would take the culture I was raised in wholesale and preserve all of that. If I'm not cynical, sometimes I'm downright contrarian. Um, but as I do get older, I'm starting to accept the fact that there are there are things that matter in the culture that I was brought up in. It is superior to other cultures around the world. And I am definitely grateful to have grown up in that culture. I'm, I'm grateful to have been nourished by that culture and by people who embrace that culture instead of other potential cultures in the world or even other cultures in this country. And there are definitely elements of that that are worth preserving just as an alternative to those other things. If they're not superior, they at least are something different that should be preserved. And I think if you're considering what that means, you want to recognize the culture you flourished in and figure out how to, in turn, give back to it and persist it and keep it going. The, the benefits you enjoyed can be enjoyed by future generations. I think you, you can look at two different dimensions. And one is temporal and one is spatial. The first question is how far back do you go? And I don't think there's a right or wrong answer to this question, but you can look to the history of something you occupy, some part of the world you live in, going back as far as you want. Maybe the city you live in, maybe the church you are a part of, uh, maybe the company you're working for, whatever the context might be. It may not be very old. It may be very, very new. It may have only been established a decade or two before. And so I think you can, you can figure out how far back you want to go. If you live in the United States, you could say, okay, let's go back to uh, the revolution, uh, the American revolution and the, uh, the 
casting off of the tyranny of King George III and the establishment of a secular government. We seem to take this as a very important creation myth that we teach our kids, the founding of the United States. It is something that unites us. Uh, you might go back to that and say, these are values that are worth preserving. You look to the Constitution, Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights, basically taking that and saying, something about this is worth preserving. You could go back further. Um, the principles of the American Revolution that established our country were not created in a vacuum. They took inspiration from a lot of antecedent ideas. And those ideas took inspiration from ideas before them. Uh, really, all of Western civilization goes back to the ancient Greeks. And the first pre-Socratic philosophers who basically seeded a lot of modern thought. So you have a very wide spectrum of anchor points you could choose. And I don't think you have to choose one. I don't think you have to choose only one. I think you can choose multiple. I don't think they're all independent. So even if you do choose multiple ones, they still may be interrelated. And I certainly don't think there, like I said, there is a wrong answer to that question. I think there's also the, the second dimension, which is spatial, which is to say you, you could look kind of starting narrowly and broadening out again. You could look to the church you are in. You could look to the community you reside in, like the neighborhood. You could look to uh, the city you live in or the state or the country, the continent, and so forth. And again, I don't think there is, I don't think all of those degrees, those levels that you could establish a scope at, I don't think those are all independent of each other, and I don't think you have to choose just one. But I think if you're looking to, if you're thinking forward, when you're approaching the end of your life, and right now you want to shore up some meaning for yourself, you want to make it so that when you hit that point, you are not thinking, I am so full of regret, I want to be proud of what I accomplished. I want to be happy with what I have done. And more importantly, between now and then, start doing some things that you might find deeper meaning in beyond just making a paycheck or impressing a guy or a girl you have a crush on or your friends or your parents, so forth. I think this is an interesting thing to reflect on at great length. What is the culture that reared you? What are the elements of it? How would you preserve them? How could you use your unique skill set that you possess to help preserve them? And if you can, in what way would you change them? I feel like it's every generation says you know, my parents did all of these things right, but my parents did a couple of these things wrong. I'm going to do those slightly differently. So education is not just about transferring culture wholesale without any change dogmatically. It also allows every generation to put its own spin on it. 
in a way that befits the changing times or to change the times in some progressive fashion. And so again, I conclude by saying that this is very, very obvious. Mythology has two functions. It allows people to believe in a life after death, to believe that they are not going to die, which is valuable. It's a scary prospect. Not what I'm talking about here. But the second function being that we all grow up in, in a cultural context that is seeded by things that have come before us. There are always antecedents. These are the things that have made us who we are and given us our values. It's important to know what those values are. I think it's important to call those out, to enumerate them, to write them out, figure out where they came from and why they're a part of us. And if we value them, to figure out what means we have at our disposal to preserve those. I think it's especially important to do this even if, or especially if, like me, you do not have children of your own. I think if you're a parent, probably what I'm saying is very, very obvious. But if you are younger and unsure about having kids, or you have already established for yourself that you are not going to have kids, I think embracing this idea in some aspect of your life, if it's not career, then how you spend your free time on the weekends, how you engage with the community you live in. I think you could do no worse than thinking about it in terms like this. Yeah, so that's my piece. This is what I have been reflecting on at great length and how this applies to me. Um, and yes, I am putting it out there to practice speaking and to have something to do during this wonderful pandemic and this quarantine where we are all locked in with each other. Uh, thank you for listening to this, if you did. I hope wherever you are, you and yours are healthy and continue to be so and that you get through this whole ordeal without a scratch on you. Uh, this is Jim signing off. Cheers.